Last week we began talking about this series, Retro, talking about vintage values for today's family. We talked last week about the importance of having resets within our family, and this morning we're going to talk about the importance of encouragement within our families. And in fact, I, I love what Lauren and Jarvis said that um, Jarvis talked about instilling in his children, listen, when we're not here, you've got to have each other's back. And that's important in that family to have that, have that encouraging aspect there. And not only that, but I love what Lauren Samson said, that it's so much easier to talk to your children about issues when you're grounded in the Word of God, when you're grounded in Christ. Because you're not just, hey, this is what I say so, this is what God says so. And I used to tell my kids, hey, I'm not only, I'm not only your, your dad, but I'm also your pastor, okay? So <laughs> I'm going to lay down the biblical law as well. And that always kind of made them a little bit afraid of me, which is a good thing. Amen. So anyway, this morning we're going to talk about this unique quality of the family called encouragement. Last week we began with reset. And as you can tell, we're going to have a little acrostic with the word retro. And this week we're going to talk about encourage, encouragement. Encouragement can originate from anyone at any time, but there's something very special about encouragement from within the family. As a Little League coach, I've been coaching Little League now since I started with my very first team at the age of 19. I'm now 50, so I've been coaching Little League off and on for over 30 years. And one of the things I've learned is I can only encourage a player so far. I have limitations. But with the parent man, they can encourage them so much further than me. So that, I learned a long time ago, the best way to kick off a season, sit down and meet with the parents first and let them know, hey, I need you. This is a partnership. It's not you and, and, it's not you and I against the world and against your kid. Man, let's partner in this and let's encourage them towards greatness. It's always great to have encouragement within the family. It's very powerful. So keep that in mind this morning as we introduce our case study for today. And I'm going to be real honest with you. I could talk about our case study this morning until about 2.30. What time Cowboys kickoff? 3.25? I could go until then. I'm telling you. And some of you are like, oh, man, I hope he's just kidding this morning, all right? But I really could. I love talking about our case study. Her name is Deborah. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Deborah was what we call a judge in ancient Israel. Judge is really just a fancy word for leader. But as, as a leader, a national leader, she gave direction, she gave encouragement, she gave the scriptures. The Bible says she was a prophetess, meaning that God spoke to her, she listened, and she responded and shared God's word with others. So we're going to talk about Deborah. In fact, in Judges 2, 18 and 19, it tells us a little bit about the judges and what was going on. You may remember the history of Israel. It started with Jacob's family that we talked about last week. They went to Egypt. Eventually, they end up in slavery in Egypt. Moses leads them out. Moses dies. Joshua takes over. Joshua dies. And then God doesn't raise up just one national leader, but he begins to raise up what we call these judges. And here's what's going on during that time. It says, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning, because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. See, when Joshua dies, the children of Israel began to rebel. They turned away from God. They started worshiping false idols. And so God allowed them to be oppressed by the nations around them. God says, all right, you want to worship their gods? I'll let them be in control of you for a while. See how you like that. Well, they would turn back to God. God would raise up a judge, a leader who would lead them out. Verse 19, but whenever the judge died, 
they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers. It just got worse and worse and worse, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them, and they did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. God does not mince words, does he? And one of these enemies that God allowed to rise up against Israel was the nation of Canaan. The land was originally known as Canaan, but Israel kind of moves in and takes over many of the cities of Canaan. But the, the people, the Canaanites, were still there. And during the time of Deborah, there is this king that rises up. His name is Jabin. Jabin's a very powerful king. He's a very wicked king. And I've got to just kind of show you where some of these places and these people that we're going to talk about were in the nation of Israel there. Remember, Israel's a very small country. And it was surrounded by all these wicked nations. Well, Jabin had this general by the name of Sisera. Sisera, the Bible says, had 900 chariots in his arsenal. Now, that may not sound very impressive today, but Israel was a very primitive nation in the beginning. Remember, they started as slaves in Egypt. They come out. God does most of their fighting for them. They have very little weaponry. They don't have a lot of iron. They don't know how to smelt and turn things into swords. Even in the time of David, the Bible mentions that there were only just a couple of swords in the entire nation. So it's hard to get. Why? Because the nations around them were oppressing them. They wouldn't trade with them. And so here comes Sisera with this 900 chariot army, and he kind of keeps everybody in check, kind of like the Death Star in Star Wars, if you will, all right? He just moved his 900 chariots around, and everybody's like, I don't want to mess with that. Trying to attack 900 chariots as a nation of Israel, and this time around 1200 B.C., today would be like a, far, uh, a group of farmers with BB guns trying to go against a big arsenal of armored tanks. It's not going to go very well. So they just had to stay under their oppression. Well, during this time, a lady by the name of Deborah, who is one of these judges that we just read about, she rises up. In fact, at the, at the time this book was compiled, which would have been many years after the life of Deborah, after she was dead, this book was compiled, the Bible says that there was a tree known as the Palm of Deborah. Apparently there was this large palm tree, and Deborah used to sit under the tree and give judgment and lead and encourage others. And it stayed there for so long they just named it after her. It was the Palm of Deborah. And whoever is compiling this book says, listen, the, 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 the palm of Deborah that we still have today, that's where she used to sit. It's named after her. And she would sit there, and apparently she began sitting under this tree, sharing her wisdom, insight from the Word of God. And by the way, the palm of Deborah and the little blue arrow there, it's the bottom of this map. But actually it's very centralized in Israel so that nearly everyone or anyone could come and, and be with her and receive counsel from her. So that's Deborah. And apparently she uh, had so much insight, she gained wisdom from God and life experience. Eventually she became known as this national leader and this judge. Now let me share two very important qualities with you about Deborah. Number one quality I want to share with you is that she listened to God. She listened to the Lord. Now, that may not sound like, you know, like, okay, yeah, shouldn't everybody do that? Absolutely. But Deborah didn't just hear from the Lord. She listened to him. She responded to him. She obeyed him. She listened to the Lord. The second thing that I want to share with you, and in fact, you're going to learn in a minute that she listened to the Lord so well that when God began to call out to this guy we're going to talk about in a minute named Barak to go and fight this big bad general Sisera, the Lord also spoke to Deborah about it. 
and Deborah had to go and encourage Barak to go to battle. We'll talk about that in a minute. So she listened to the Lord. The second thing is she considered her entire nation to be her family. She viewed her whole nation as a family, and I really like that. And you know, I began thinking about America today. There are fewer and fewer Americans today who view their fellow countrymen as family because we're so divided today. We just don't do that much anymore. In fact, Israel really struggled with it. Now, they literally were a family. They all came from Jacob, but they began to become very dysfunctional, and they become very um, separate, and they did not get along. So Deborah treated everyone fairly, and I think you can tell from our lives, she longed for a day when Israel would be unified again. So she encouraged people towards that. So let's dive into her life, Judges chapter 4. And I want to be honest with you. Like I said, I can talk about Deborah a lot. I'm going to try not to ramble today. I'm going to try to stick to my notes and do the best that I can and, and only share with you what I absolutely have to. But there's a lot going on in the life of Deborah I want to share with you. So look at Judges chapter 4. Go down to verse 4. We'll start talking about Deborah. It says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapido, was judging Israel at that time. And she used to sit under the palm of Deborah. We talked about that. Between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. Right in the center, pretty much, of Israel. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. Today, that word judgment has a very negative connotation. But in that day and time, it was positive. They would come to her for answers, for clarification. She knew the law of Moses very well. And so when people needed direction, she would break it down to them. When they had disputes, she would break it down for them. So it was a positive thing when they came to her. She wasn't passing down judgment for people to go to prison or things like that. It was to help make hard decisions. And it says she sent and summoned Barak. This is who we talked about a moment ago. The son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulon, and I will draw out Sisera. Apparently, God had been telling Barak, this guy who is apparently a warrior, we know he's a warrior, because he's able to get 10,000 fellow countrymen to go to war with him. We're going to see that in a minute. So God starts saying, hey, Barak, it's time for you to take action. You're, you're a warrior. You fought in some battles with Joshua. It's now time for you to go forward and take care of this enemy. And he doesn't respond. Deborah hears from the Lord and sends word to him and says, hey, hasn't God been talking to you? Now, wouldn't that freak you out just a little bit? If God had been talking to you about something during the week, you had not been doing it, you show up at church and someone says, hey, Fernie, the Lord's been talking to you about this. And you'd be like, huh, what? <laughs> You've been listening to my phone conversations? You tap in, you tap in my, uh, my, my phone? You, you listen in? What's going on? Well, God spoke to her, and she said, come on, it's time to go. And the Lord had said to him, I'm going to draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Go fight, and not only that, you're going to win. That's exciting when God says things like that. And while preparing this message, I almost wrote down that, that one of Deborah's most powerful qualities was that she heard from God or that God spoke to her. The truth is, God speaks to all of us. 
and we all can hear God speaking to us, whether it's through his word or through our heart or through our minds or through our prayers. We hear God speaking to us, but in reality, just hearing from God is not enough. We are about to see that God also spoke to Barak, but either he wasn't listening or he just refused to respond. So Deborah was somebody who didn't just hear God, but she listened to him. And there's a difference between just hearing and listening. Look at verse 8. It says, Barak said to her, okay, you're right. You got me. God did say go. But if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And Deborah said, I will surely go with you. Last week, our verses to commit to memory were Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you will not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Reminding us the importance to forgive others, to have resets with others, because God gives us the opportunity to reset with him all the time. These two verses our scripture memory for this week. And I encourage you to learn them, memorize them, say them to yourself, teach them to your kids. When Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, then I ain't going nowhere, he said. But I love how Deborah responded. Surely, yes, I will go with you. This is the first time Deborah encourages Barak to go through with God's calling and plan. Now, it's a big push because he, she's not just encouraging him to go and try to accomplish a little simple life goal and check something off. She's pushing him to go and fight the big bad army of Sisera and his 900 chariots. But she's also pushing him towards victory. Why? Because God's already said, I'm going to give you this army into your hand. Verse 9. Nevertheless, she says, all right, you want me to go with you? You're not going without me? No problem. If that's all it takes, I'll go with you. However, she does say this. She gives this caveat. The road on which you were going will not lead to your glory. In other words, you're not going to be the hero of the battle. For the Lord, number one, the Lord's the hero of all battles, right? But along the way, God does allow us to experience some of that as well. Thank goodness. I don't know why he does, but, but he does that. But it says, for the Lord is going to sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So Deborah's like, you need a woman to go with you to go? No problem. I'll go with you. But you need to understand this. When you go, a woman's going to get the glory. Now, at that point in time, I think that, um, in fact, it goes on, it says, Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali and K and to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now, I'm impressed with the fact that Deborah was willing to go with Barak. I really am. But you know what else I'm impressed with? I'm impressed that Barak was willing to say, You know what? I need your help on this one. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm a little bit scared. I need some encouragement. Now, I could camp right here for the next three hours. I really could. Because there's so many incredible things going on in just these few verses right here. You know, I've heard messages preached where somebody said, well, because Barak didn't immediately respond to God and he didn't go immediately and a woman had to go with him, God punished him and was going to give a, the glory of the battle to a woman. And to me, I always thought, that's very degr degrading towards Deborah 
and the eventual person who is the hero of this story. We're going to talk about it in a minute. I don't think that's the case at all. I think what's going on here is that God's not punishing Barak by giving glory to a woman. I think God's giving glory to a woman because the women in this story are just stinking awesome. All right? Can I get an amen, ladies? They are. They're awesome. They're incredible. I mean, we're going to talk about today, Deborah, and eventually we're going to talk about the hero of the battle. I'm not going to reveal her name just yet. We'll, we'll, we'll let the suspense build a little bit. But, man, these are incredible ladies. They're awesome people that God used. And, and I love this. And, and I think what's going on here is that Barack needed encouragement. And he was transparent and honest enough to say, hey, I need help. I need encouragement. Do you know that every once in a while, and this has happened out throughout my entire ministry. I've been in ministry now for over 30 years. Throughout my entire ministry, from time to time, someone will leave the church or leave the ministry or, 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 or leave my classes that I've taught different things for the years, and they'll say this, well, I'm just not being encouraged in the way that I need. And so I, I always say, this is my response every time. I always say, well, then how have I failed you? I start with me. I don't try to push off blame. Tell me how I failed you. And you know that almost every time, there have been some times when I failed. And I said, you know what? I messed up. I made a mistake. I let, allow me to learn from that, and let's reset here. Sometimes they do this. Sometimes they don't. But a lot of times what people will say is, well, it's not you, Pastor. It's not you, Donnie. It's like, okay, well, did our staff not encourage you? No, you know, the staff is very encouraging. Well, did my, was my family encouraging you? You know, my kids are mean sometimes. Did they, you know, did they beat up your kids? I mean, what's the deal, you know? Did they, did they, what's going on? No, it's not your family. Well, then what is it? Well, I've got this, and they'll lay out this specific situation. Now, I haven't been encouraged in this area. Then I have to say, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I knew nothing about that. I didn't know that was going on. And in some cases, when I did know what was going on, I didn't know enough about it to try to help. And I said, listen, when you need help, I can't read your mind. I don't know what's going on up there. Here's what I do know. When you tell me you're hurting, I'll do everything I can to help you heal. I'll give you all I got. I may not be able to get, I may not be able to provide exactly what you need, but you've got everything that I've got. You've got it. Now, this morning, I say that to say this, and I'm preaching to myself, I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to whoever's listening this morning. When we need encouragement, let's learn from Barack, and let's be transparent and say, hey, I need help. Go to the people you trust. Go to the people you love. Number one, that ought to be within our families, amen? That's why we need to build that culture of encouragement within our families, and we're going to continue talking about that next week as we see encouragement lends into our, our next topic. And we're going to talk about Naomi and Ruth next week. I love them. Two more incredible ladies in the Word of God. But this morning, the thing I love about Barack is he just says, I need help. Will you go with me? And she says, you know what? Absolutely, I will go. I'll go with you. Man, this partnership that they form is, is incredible to me. And, and, and at the time, it kind of seems like Deborah's going to be the one that gets the glory. It's almost like she says, oh, you need me to go with me? Well, that's fine. A woman's going to get the glory. And I'm thinking, he's probably thinking, okay, yeah, it's going to be you, I'm sure. But it ends up it's not. We'll find out in a minute. But he says, you know what? I'm okay. I don't care. I just want to get the job done. I don't care who gets the credit. That's why I love Barack. Because he is a warrior. You say, how do you know he's a warrior? He said, we need to go to battle, and 10,000 men showed up. 
That's pretty awesome, right? I don't know the last time you tried to rally some troops for a battle. <laughs> I'd probably get about eight, <laughs> okay? Uh, I'm not getting 10,000. This guy just put out the word and people showed up. They followed him. He was a natural leader. He was a warrior. But he still needed help. He still needed encouragement. And that's where Deborah came in. Look at verse 12. It says, When Sisera was told that Barak the son of Abinoam had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera called out all his chariots. He's like, all right, I'm going to just set an example of this guy. 900 chariots of iron. And all the men who were with him from Harasheth Hagoim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Apparently she had to encourage him a second time. Does not the Lord go out before you? Hey, you, you've gathered. You, I'm, I'm here with you. There's the, there's the army. Go get the victory. Apparently, they get to the point of battle, and Barak is once again not taking action until Deborah says, Hey, let's go, boy. What are you waiting for? And I really believe Barak needed Deborah's encouragement, and man, I'm glad she provided it, because here's what happens. Verse 14, so Barak went down, from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots. In a minute, we're going to find out that the Lord sent a torrential downfall of rain, and the chariots were not equipped with four-wheel drive. They got stuck in the mud, and they were conquered. They were routed that day. The chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. The general got scared, and he started running, amen? And Barak pursued the chariots, and the army to Harasheth Hagoim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword, and not a man was left. In other words, the Lord made good on his promise, amen? So when God says, go get the victory, <clears throat> we can't lose if we'll just show up and fight, and again, have a, just a, a map of the topography here. You see how the, the Kishon uh, River was down in a little bit of a valley there. And you could see how if it began to rain, that mud would sweep in, bog down those chariots. And the Bible says that Sisera got off and ran. Here's what happens. Sisera runs into a village where some of the descendants of Moses's father-in-law. You may remember Moses married outside of his race. He married a Midianite, the daughter of, of a Jethro. And Jethro's family just became part of the Israelite nation. And they traveled with them, went to them through the wilderness, went into the promised land with them. And one of the villages where some of their descendants lived, that's where Sisera, the old, the old general, went on foot. And he went there because the Bible says that there was kind of a truce between him and uh, his family or his country and this family. They were just kind of doing trade and being cordial to one another. So he goes running into this village, and there's a particular tent where a lady by the name of Jael is. And Jael knows all about Sisera, knows all about Canaan, the Canaanites, knows all about their wickedness, and she knew the battle was going on. And here comes Sisera. She would have known who he was. He would have been decked out in, in completely fancy you know, apparel. He would have looked a part of a general in the ancient world. And she waves him into her tent. His, her tent. Says, Come on in. And he says, you've got to hide me. You've got to take care of me. And she says, no problem. Come in. Lay down right here. I'll cover you up with a rug. 
I'm paraphrasing this because it's such a great story this morning. But he, he comes in and he says, I'm thirsty. Will you get me some water? He says, I'll do you one better. I'll get you some fresh milk. Now, in our world, that's kind of like, ooh, right? But in the ancient world, that was a treat. Brings him some milk. He's so worn out from the battle and exhausted from running that he falls asleep. Just before he falls asleep, he says, hey, stand at the tent. And don't let anyone in. And she's like, oh, I got this. He lays down. She covers him up with the rug. But she knows about the wickedness of Sisera. The Bible says that she took a tent peg in one hand while he was asleep, put it against his head, and took a mallet in the right hand, and boom, drove it right through his head, crushed his skull, and nailed his head to the ground. Can I get an amen, all right? You may say, that sounds kind of violent. <laughs> you know what? The Bible tells it like it is, right? It does. You see, here's the deal. After the battle was over, we find out that what Deborah said was right. It wasn't Barak who was the hero of the story or the battle, but it was J.L. She took care of big, bad Sisera. Well, after the battle is over, Deborah and Barak, they write and perform a duet together, a song that they write and they sing together. Apparently, it was a pretty huge hit. We're still singing it today, all right? We're, you know, several thousand years removed. So look at Judges chapter 5, and look there in verse 1, we'll start to see this song that Deborah and Barak wrote about this battle. It says, then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day. And they said that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, you, and you when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. There's that rain that fell during the battle. And the mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. They just start this great duet by giving praise to God. Read on with me and imagine them singing this, you know. I can just kind of see them sitting under the palm of Deborah and singing and people are gathered around and they're just having a celebration, you know, a big, a big feast. And in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the hero of the battle, the highways were abandoned, and the travelers kept to the byways. People were too afraid to even travel. That's how wicked the Canaanites were. And the villagers seized in Israel. They ceased to be until I, until I arose. I, Deborah, rose. And notice how she refers to herself as a mother of Israel. Earlier I said that Deborah saw her, all of her uh, fellow countrymen and, and, and people within her nation as family. So obviously there was great oppression until Deborah, the mother of Israel, the, pat the matriarch of the nation, arose. And basically what she's saying is, hey, someone had to step up, so I did it. Verse 8, when the new gods were chosen, when war was in the gates, was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? She says, we had turned to other gods. We had no weaponry whatsoever. She says, my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. She says, we turned away from God. We had no weapons, but we turned back to God and we obediently went into battle. Look down to verse 10. It says, tell of it. 
you who ride on white donkeys. Here's what she's doing. is She's kind of mocking all the rich people and the rich nations around them. Again, Israel, very primitive, agricultural, very, very poor, simple people. The nations around them, full of opulence. Very wealthy nations. And she now says, those of you who ride on white donkeys, which was a sign of power and wealth, those of you who sat on rich carpets, apparently that was a big thing to do back then. You who walked by the way, you see, she says this, to the sound of musicians at the watering places. When you sing this song where people gather, there they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in a song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble, the people of the Lord, marched down for me against the mighty. Again, this portion of of the song, it's a warning to the other nations to listen up and hear what happens when God's people follow him. In fact, in the next few verses, Deborah praises the tribes who sent people into battle, and then she gets after those who refuse to come and fight. It's kind of like everybody was saying, ooh, you just got told by Mama Deborah, all right? Next time we go to battle, you best get out there. Look at verse 19. It says, the kings came. They fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo, They got no spoils of silver. From heaven, the stars fought. That's where the rain came from. And from their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon, this torrential rainfall that swept through the Kishon Valley, it swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon, march on my soul with might. You can tell, man, this is like a battle cry. It's kind of like there, remember the Alamo, remember Kishon and how God sent down the rain. And here Deborah encourages everyone to follow the God who made the stars. It's kind of a diss on the Canaanites because they practiced astrology. They worshiped the stars, but denied the God who made the stars. And here Deborah says, oh, guess who won the battle? The God of the stars. The ones that those things you worship, the God who made them, he's the one that sent down this rain to stop your mighty chariots in their tracks. Look at verse 24. It says, most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Abair the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. A simple woman, lives in a tent. She's blessed. He, Sisera, asked for water. She gave him milk. She brought him curds in a, in a noble's bowl, in her, best, in her best dish. She sent her hand to the tent peg in her right hand of the workman's mallet, and she struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. And then now get this picture. Between her feet, he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet, he sank. He fell. And where he sank, there he fell dead. Now remember, Deborah said a woman would get the glory. I think Barak probably thought it was going to be Deborah, but instead, as we've learned, it is Jael. I want you to get this picture. The mighty general, 
who once sat upon a chariot of iron. She died, or he died on the floor of a tent with his crushed head between the dirty feet of a tent-dwelling woman. You know what? Don't mess with a woman who knows how to swing a hammer, right? <laughs> Don't mess with her. Now, in case you think that's too harsh, all right, and there are people who cite this and say, well, this is kind of harsh. There are people who cite the Bible and say, why, why did God send out sometimes the nation of Israel to utterly destroy an entire nation? Why did they do that? In case you think it's too harsh, it shouldn't be included. The next part of the song shows why Sisera's death was warranted and justified and I think especially that it was brought forth by a woman. Look at this next few verses, verse 28 through 30. This is Deborah painting the picture of what it was like for Sisera's mother waiting for Sisera to come home from battle. Are you with me, church? All right? Sisera always came home victorious. And every time he came home, apparently, he brought spoils of war back home to mom. Notice what it says, out of the window she peered. The mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is this chariot so long in coming? What's taking so long? Where are the hoofbeats of his chariots? It's never taken this long. It's those simple Israelites. They've got nothing but pitchforks and rakes. How, how have we not conquered them by now? And her wisest princesses answered, indeed, she answers herself. And she's saying, have they not? found and divided the spoil surely by now they've conquered all the soldiers and they've pillaged the villages and they've taken everything and then notice what she says next and every soldier she's referring to is already surely by now had a womb or two for every man i want to keep it pg this morning but literally what that means is that once they had conquered the soldiers they stole all the spoils and then they went in and had their way with every woman and young girl that they could. That was the M.O. of Canaan and Jabin and Sisera. But you know what? Mama didn't care as long as there was brought home spoil of dyed materials for Sisera. Spoil of dyed materials embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the next as spoil. See, the Canaanites under Sisera would conquer the soldiers, rape the women, steal their goods. And Sisera's mother was so wicked, she didn't care. She didn't care that her son abused women as long as he brought her back home some pretty clothes. See, my friends, this was an evil, wicked nation. And their, his death was justified. Their destruction was justified. And you know what? When God allowed an enemy or a nation to be utterly destroyed in the word of God is because they were equally wicked. You see, Deborah, the great mother figure of Israel, is saying, hey, our God protects the, the women and the young girls when we turn and obey him. I love that. And then he raps, they wrap up the song in verse 31. So may all of your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might, and the land had rest for 40 years. Remember Deborah's most powerful qualities. She listened and obeyed the Lord. Not only that, but she encouraged anyone and everyone who came to her. 
She considered all of Israel her family. Because she listened to and obeyed the Lord, when Barak needed encouragement in the form of a push, she didn't hesitate to urge him to go because it was towards a positive outcome. Now, here's the family application this morning, all right? You might say, what in the world does this have to do with family values, all right? Talking about nailing heads to the ground and battles and chariots and pitchforks and what's going on here? Listen to me, church, all right? If you hadn't heard anything else I said this morning, hear this. It is great to tell our children, our students, the kids we coach, our fellow church family family members, it's, it's, it is great to tell them things like, hey, you can do anything you set your mind to, and you can be anyone your heart desires. That's great. That's fantastic, all right? There's just one problem. If someone had said that to me, and people did say that, say that to me when I was 12 years old, you go back and ask 12-year-old Donnie, what's your destiny? What are you going to be when you grow up? And I would have told you, I'm going to be the next Mickey Mantle. <laughs> I'm going to play professional baseball. I'm gonna, I, I had that Roy Hobbs syndrome. I, when I walk down the road, I want people to say, hey, there goes Donnie Foster, the best there ever was in the game. That was me. That was my life. That's, I made deals with God. Ever done this? And I knew at 12 God was calling me in the ministry, but I liked holding the baseball bat more than I liked holding the Bible. I'm just going to tell you that. And I said, God, let me hold that baseball bat. Let me hit home runs. And then once I've achieved greatness, then I'll come back and do things for you. See, there was just one problem with that. No matter how hard I tried, and I tried, believe me, no matter how hard I tried and how much I wanted it, I wanted it real bad. I was never going to achieve that goal. Number one, I just wasn't that good. <laughs> I was not the next Mickey Mantle. I'm not sitting here telling you, well, if God didn't call me to preach, I'd have been, you know. No, I wasn't good enough. I just wasn't good enough. Second of all, that was not God's plan for my life. I'm very thankful for what I received from my parents, the type of encouragement I shared from them. I would often go to my dad and say, Dad, do you think I have what it takes to be a professional baseball player? I started asking that around 10 or 11. And dad would say, how about you just worry about starting at first base on your little league team? I was like, all right, yeah, I'll do that. And that's what he told me. And he said, if you do that, then you got a chance to be on the next team and be good. And if you'll do that, you have a chance to, to play on the JV team. And if you do that well, then you can play on the varsity team. And if you do that well, hey, we'll just see what happens. Dad knew I was not going to be the next Mickey Mantle. But he encouraged me as long as that was my passion, but he kept it in perspective. However, at the age of 14, when I came home and said, Mom and Dad, God's called me to the ministry, oh, then they said, that's your passion. Dad said, that's what you were born to do. And the encouragement that they gave me towards that was second to none. Again, listen to me, church. I, I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't tell our kids they can do anything, because this is America. They can do anything. What I'm saying is this, that we need to listen to the Lord like Deborah and know and understand that, yes, any kid can grow up and be president, but guess what? A whole lot of them are not. And what we need to understand when we listen to the Lord is that God's going to give us the direction on exactly how to push and encourage one another. Same is true with all of us. When we, like Deborah, all right, when we, like Deborah, recognize the things others around us need to do, 
and we will recognize and we will recognize those things when we listen to the Lord, I promise you. Our encouragement can be what leads others to victory and powerful accomplishments in their life and certainly for the Lord. Nothing wrong with telling kids you can grow up and be president if you try hard and commit to your dreams. Nothing wrong with that. Telling others to follow their dreams is fine. However, what's more important, what's more important is being in touch with God, listening to his prompting of when and how to encourage and even push others towards actions that brings God glory and helps others achieve their full potential in Christ. We heard from Lauren and Jarvis a few moments ago. Lord and Jarvis came to me a while back, and, and I hope you don't mind me sharing this story about discipleship with Dee and Cassandra, but they came and said, hey, we want to encourage and challenge this, these friends of ours who come to church to go through discipleship. Can we do that? That's the greatest question you can ever ask a pastor, by the way. Can we go and disciple people? Yes, amen. Yes, amen. Are we qualified? Have you been discipled? Yes. You've already helped others disciple others. It is now time for you to disciple others. You know, I'm sure your friends needed encouragement in a lot of areas, as we all do. Amen? But they said the greatest encouragement they need is towards Christ. Oh, praise the Lord. And they're discipling them. And that's awesome. That's what it's about. And you know what? That's got to be the most satisfying feeling in the world, is it not? To lead people towards Christ. Amen? Isn't it? Nothing more satisfying than that. Nothing more. It, it's more satisfying than playing middle linebacker for Alabama. Amen? Isn't it? Amen. Especially yesterday against a and right? <laughs> I had to get that in there. They'll be stomping Arkansas in a few weeks. So I had to get that in there, all right? But that's what life is all about. It's about listening to God and knowing where, who needs a push, where they need to push, and God lays that on our heart. At the same time, understand we're not all mind readers, okay? When you need that encouragement, we've got to be transparent. I'm talking to Donnie this morning. Sometimes I'm guilty of just trying to encourage myself, and I need to just be transparent and say, hey, I need to be encouraged. I need that. We all need that. You see, God built into the family, whether it's our immediate family or our church family or even our national family, but God built within the family the ability to hear from him, listen to his prompting, and then administer the encouragement needed to aspire others to bring him glory and experience great personal satisfaction. So my encouragement to you this morning is twofold. Number one, listen to the Lord in order to encourage the world. Listen to the Lord in order to encourage the world. Maybe you're here this morning and you need some encouragement. I want to encourage you to do something, all right? In the midst of you needing encouragement, come this morning and meet with God and listen to him and say, God, I need encouragement, but first, I'm here to hear from you. And I think one of the greatest ways to receive encouragement is to be an encourager. I wholeheartedly believe when we encourage others enough, we always receive the encouragement we need. I really believe that. It's a two-way street. But at the same time, just come and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm listening. What do you need me to do? 
Who do I need to trust? Who, do, who can I go to and say, I need this encouragement? Maybe you're here this morning and the Lord has been meeting with you or prompting you to encourage others. You've been seeing something going on and, and it's time to give that push and, and to encourage someone in the right direction. Maybe that's you this morning. You need to just say, God, you know, give me that strength. Give me that wisdom. Give me that opportunity. And again, I just want to go back very quickly. I, I know I'm into overtime, but the best games go into overtime, right? Especially when we win and we're going through this morning, all right? Listen, this works. Go back to that picture of Sisera laying in that tent. Most of the time when Sisera entered a tent with a woman, it didn't turn out very good for the woman. Are you with me? But on that day, God took control. And it's such a powerful image of this godless, wicked man laying there between the, what had to have been dusty, dirty feet of a tent-dwelling woman. And on that day, God got a great victory. It seemed hopeless when those chariots were surrounding. Historians have described the sound of chariots in the ancient world being so deafening that it shocked the soldiers and they couldn't even go into battle. They just shook in fear. You know, it's almost like people when they come to White Summit for the first time and they hear all the jets flying over, right? They're like, what's that? And we're like, huh? Didn't even hear it. But the power that they had and yet God rose up a woman to take care of that. And that's just, to me, that's such a powerful image of who our God is. And the power that our God has. And you know what? This doesn't have a whole lot to do with the message, but it has a little bit to do with it this morning. I'm sick and tired of men taking advantage of women. I'm sick and tired of living in a world where girls are taken and abused. I'm sick of that. God, raise us up some Deborahs and JLs, amen? Give us some warriors who will kick butt and take names for Jesus, amen? Yeah. You know how many times I've thought about saying, I'm just going to resign and go tell the CIA, I will just take out sex traffickers. Just put, give me a gun, put me incognito, I'll take them out day after day. Anybody else been there? Amen. I'm sick and tired of it. But then I read this story and I'm reminded, God's in control. God's going to take care of it. Those people who are wicked and those people who think they have control, mm -mm, my God's on the throne. You will come down off of your chariot and you will find your place. And it may be at the feet of the one who takes you down. And it will be at the one, feet of the one who takes you down. Amen. Every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord eventually. But I'm encouraged by the fact through this story that our God is in control. There are times when it seems like he is not, but he is. That's the God who speaks to us and says, go push people towards greatness. Amen? It's not some far-off God. It's the God of Jael. It's the God who took down Sisera. It's the God who spoke to Deborah, who rose up Barak and 10,000. That's the God who speaks to us.